The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. So I have in my hand Carl Frampton, my autobiography. It is written with uh, Paul D. Gibson, and I'm delighted to say that Carl is with me. Uh, Carl, how are you? I'm doing okay. Yep. Yeah, listen, thanks a million um, for popping into us, and congratulations Thank you. Uh, on the book. Um, we might start where the book finishes, which is kind of the end of the career, actually, yeah. uh, to a degree. Um, and you, you you describe yourself kind of in the ring um, that night. Uh, I was shot. Yeah. The, the kind of the the, the penny dropping yeah. or the realization kind of things were over. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, I just it was it was a strange feeling because in preparation for the fight, I'd sparred really well. I was happy with my sparring. Um, hardly lost a round of sparring against uh, two good sparring partners for the majority. Uh, Anthony Kakachi and a guy called Alex Delmajani, good good fighters. Um, and similar stature and stuff to Jamel Hearn, taller than me in southpaws. And uh, I was ready to go in and win this fight. But, I mean, literally, I sat down on the stool at the end of round one and just, it's a horrible feeling when you just, you start to realise, I'm not as good as I used to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I was getting hit with shots that I shouldn't have been getting hit with. And no disrespect to Jamel Hearn, he's a, he's a good fighter and he's a big guy, but... He, like he had a tail on his shoulder when he was going to throw a jab and I seen the tail but the shot still hit me so <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah it's time, time to get out and tell me what what goes through your mind say when you, you sit down on the stool at the end of round one and you and you you realise that yeah. you know what I mean oh listen I, the body's not moving as quick yeah. uh, I, I'm in trouble here but I can't, yeah, I can't turn around and go out. home yeah I know I just you know just I don't know it's a horrible feeling but I, I just wanted to try and get through it and I was still trying to win um, right up until the end, but um, yeah, it was just that that last fight was just a step too far. And was there any relief, you know, that maybe the journey was over, or, or was it was, was there kind of a period of grieving, you know, oh, I wasn't ready to, um, to, to finish? I think there was a bit of both. I think there definitely was some relief there. It was disappointment, obviously, that I'd lost the fight that I was that I was hoping I was going to win. But going into the fight anyway, like the whole plan was, and I didn't talk about this openly because I always think it sounds a bit negative if you're talking about retiring, but the plan was to win the fight and retire and win it as a three-weight world champion. Mm. Um, but I didn't want to mention that to too many people. So I lost the fight and I made the same decision. I, I retired. So there was a relief in a sense that I didn't have to do it anymore and I could be at home with, with the missus and the kids and... Yeah. So, so retirement was on. So, e- even though maybe it 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 really hit you, pardon the pun, kind of at the end of round one, it, you already knew. Yeah, I'm, going I'm, kind yeah. Of, I'm going. I'm I'm towards the very end. Here yeah, now. I knew. I absolutely knew. But it wasn't. You know, it wasn't a case of me. Kind of thinking like you know, I'll just take it easy here. I'll go through the emotions. I'll get a payday, and then that's it. I was I trained hard, like as I always do, because I. I was confident I could actually I could actually win the fight. Did do you think though that like it, it was just a case that maybe the body you know the years had caught up on you, or, or do you think maybe on some level and maybe you know you weren't conscious of it at the time, but on some level because you knew you were retiring, no, it maybe just takes the edge don't, away. I don't think no? I don't think that that okay. um, played a part genuinely. I just think that I had slowed down a little bit. Um, my 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 game was always kind of I'm a short squat stocky guy so my game my distance control was really good for someone short and I had explosive feet and I could get in, in and out of range and my timing was good but 
it was all just a split second slower than it used to be, and I mean that's that's the difference at the at the top end of sport. Were you you were always destined? I take it from reading the book to be a boxer. You, you describe your very first line in the book is you don't remember life before boxing. Yeah, no, I don't. I was I was very young. I was seven years old, so there's there's not a mu- not, not a lot to remember before that. But um, yeah, I always I I love sport. I I, I played any sport that I, I could really, um, and it was normally half decent. At, at anything I played, but um, got to a point where I was I was loving football and I was loving boxing at about sixteen, and yeah, I had, I had to pick which path I'm going to go. And I mean, I, I might have been able to play intermediate league. I don't know if you know what that is, but that's a league below, a kind of couple of leagues below the Premiership okay, up, up yeah. north. So I wasn't I wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> I was all right. I was all right, but boxing obviously was the right choice. Yeah. And at what age? Did you realise that you were very good at boxing? Um, pretty young, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was a quad kid, um, extremely quad. Didn't like confrontation in the street or conflict or anything. And any anyone kind of raised their mouth to me in the street, and the, and the big boisterous guys and the loud mouths of the street who kind of ran, you know, bullied people around the area or whatever. Um, I I would have I would have been frightened of these guys, but in the gym, I was beating them up, like beating the, the head of them, and I just I, so pretty early on, I just realized like these guys are the fighters in the street, like these are the tough boys, but I'm filling them in in the boxing mm. ring. So yeah, I was pretty early on, and it was half decent. Yeah, I guess you know, kind of beating up the local bullies and kind of tigers yeah. or whatever yeah. is, is is not exactly being a two weight <laughs> world champion. Like when when did when did you realize? Or was it other people around you maybe realised before you, listen, if we develop Carl in the right mm. way, I mean, you know, there's no telling where he could yeah, end up. Yeah, I think, I think other people around me as well. But I, I knew it myself, but there was a, a, an influence, certainly a really positive influence in Billy McKee, who was my old amateur coach. Billy's no longer with us anymore. But um, yeah, he, he was always kind of... He really looked after me. He always kept an eye on me. He didn't want me to, to go down the wrong path. He didn't want me to mix with the wrong boys because he knew that I had a wee bit of ability and I could do something. He kept telling it. He, you know, he told me that often enough. He, um, but he was like a you know straight, strict, really honest man. But um, he always had a soft spot for me, and um, I feel like I owe him a lot. But he he certainly helped keep me on the straight and narrow. And, and when I'm saying that, I mean I wasn't a wild child. I wasn't like a, mm. a a nut or anything like that, but um, it's easy to be influenced when you're a young, a young teenager, really, by other things. But I was so, I had so much respect for Billy. That was one of the reasons why I, I kind of continued to do what I was doing. When you were growing up, then I mean, how conscious would you have been of? this kind of idea of the, the peace babies in that generation, you know, yeah, yeah. maybe a bit uh, old for that, but certainly kind of a coming of age yeah. during all of that. I mean, was, you know, is that something you were acutely conscious of on a day-to-day basis or just something that was kind of in the background and you're just getting on with life? Um, I think you were, you were conscious of it. Certainly where I came from, it, it's a, it was a, a loyalist um, stronghold, um, Tigers Bay. It's, it's on an interface with the Nationalist New Lodge and there was a lot of trouble and you're kind of just, you're brought up surrounded by hatred, really, and people who hate the guys who live, you know, fifty yards over the road. Mm. And when you're when you're a kid, you're listening to that all the time, and of course you're influenced by it, and you feel like I have to behave like these guys. But then when you get a little bit older, you start to realize and understand. But certainly being involved in boxing, 
as young as seven. That that kind of helped my whole outlook and um and, and my viewpoint was different. Whereas you know. <laughs> you know you're brought up not you're brought up not by my parents but in the area you're yeah, brought up yeah. to hate these guys but I'm I'm training with them I'm training alongside them going actually we're all pretty similar here like there's, there's not there a wasn't difference. the same um, sectarianism within boxing no was, not within boxing not, not within boxing boxing you kind of um, I wouldn't say it's free from it um, there's, there's probably a little bit of it in it but I, I kind of got a bit of a pass and, and boxers were just respected you know no matter where they were from and at what point then in your in your career? Because I I know the book deals with kind of the fallout to a degree. But when did the McWiggins then get involved? Um, around two thousand and nine is when I turned professional. So I'd, I'd won the European Union silver medal in two thousand and seven, I think. Mm. And Barry had kind of I was in Dublin, the National Stadium, and and Barry had kind of hinted to my coach Billy McKee that he would make a good pro, and and Billy kind of told him to piss off like, you know like <laughs> leave, leave him alone like pretty much so um, then it was two years later I got a phone call I was on a training camp with Ireland um, got a phone call of a private number and it was it was Barry McGuigan like would you be interested in, in turning over and I was at that stage I feel like I was I wasn't being prioritised really on, on the Ireland setup. Um and I, I could have been looked after a wee bit better down here but I was I was doing well in the international scene. I was, was winning. that a north south thing? Uh, well, um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I maybe can't say that. But there was a David Oliver Joyce who was the number one for for quite a long time, um, and he, he had beaten me a couple of times previous to uh, in the previous years. But so he was like the established number one. Mm-hmm. But I was outperforming him in the multi nations and even sparring and um, the the cap using him and using him I just thought you know you need to give me a chance but so that was one of the reasons why yeah. I, I turned over anyway and I did that in, in, in 2009 there were a couple of other guys involved a wee bit from America as well um, but when when Barry McGuigan phoned you um, and I mean he was he was a hero to me although yeah, I was, was he? Uh, well I mean I knew all the stories I was too too young to remember yeah. the fights but I went back and watched the fights obviously but you know, every everybody involved. Well, everybody knew Barry in Ireland, but everybody involved in boxing certainly knows him. And um, it was a, a felt like a privilege that that he wanted to, to look after me. And I guess when you know when people think of Barry, they think of a few things of of the success. Um, you know, as a fighter, uh, and then afterwards, you know, coaching uh, and management and all of that. And um, they, they his role as he kind of created for himself as well it's kind of cross community representative yeah. was that something that attracted you to yeah absolutely the whole outlook was you know he was he was always neutral and and um you know i think there was a bit of a saying going on you know barry was in the head of the troubles when he was boxing and there was an old saying leave the fight into mcguigan and you know you'd had loyalist paramilitaries and republican paramilitaries sitting in the king's hall together watching barry mcguigan fight whoever he was fighting and the you know the chaos in the streets would stop for a few hours. So I, li- I like that, of course. I like that. At, at this stage already, when I was with Barry, um, or when I, I just signed with Barry, I was going out with a girlfriend from a nationalist Republican background. Um, so that that definitely played a part in it too, yeah. And, you know, throughout your career as well, then you, you kind of took on that mantle as well. You know, to a degree, you took up what kind of the uh, Barry as well had, had started out with. And do you ever... I don't want to say get bored of uh, 
having to talk about it, but that that so many conversations with you, and mm. I'm doing it now. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. uh, 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 kind of constantly just get framed in the context of kind of division or sectarianism. No, it, it, and it, 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 it happens Carol, what do you think of the bonfires? What do yeah. you think of the wolf tones? Yeah, I, I look. You know, I I I try to stay away from any political things really and, and I just don't like I mean it's not it's not for me to shove my political views down anyone's throat so but I do keep getting asked a question about you know me and my wife where I'm a Protestant she's a Catholic well I mean we don't go to church but we're called we're raised as that you know what I mean yeah. so like, 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 like a lot of like a lot of yeah. people so it's it's all a lot of nonsense but you keep getting talked about as if you know you're in a mixed marriage but I mean I mean, the whole world's in a mixed marriage these days, like up, up there anyway. It's not like it's a new thing. But when Barry was married to Sandra McGuigan, who was a Protestant, um, back when they got married, 70s, uh, imagine something like that, then, you know, yeah. it was a different time. And uh, I won't get into the, the detail because the book really does get into the detail of the, the fallout um, with the McGuigans. So all I want to ask you really about that is just even on a, on a human level, given how important he was to you what a role model he was how he shaped your career and everything how disappointing was the way it all ended uh, it was massive and, and to be honest it took me a while to get over it and and I you know there was cracks emerging for, for quite a while a couple yeah. of fights previous and I um, I was almost maybe it was I was lying to myself just hoping that it was wrong and, and what everyone else was saying was wrong and you know, I'd actually people within boxing kind of warn me of Barry McGuigan just to keep an eye on him and, you know, I wouldn't trust him, blah, blah, blah. But I, I thought, obviously, there's big egos involved and I thought there was a bit of jealousy and from the outside anyway, it looked like he was really looking after me. You know, I was in his house living. Um, his wife was sometimes cooking me food, sometimes doing my, my washing my clothes. You know, I was often called the fourth son. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it... it it took a while for me to get over it and I was um, yeah I was really hurt really really hurt but you know I don't know life lesson you live and you learn I, I'm mm. someone who and, and my wife would say this to me all the time You, someone speaks to me for 10 minutes and they're a nice guy I'd be like this guy's a nice guy he could be my best friend you know what I mean <laughs> so I'm a wee bit trusting but um, yeah it is it's a, it's a shame it's a shame it happened um, the book does get into it in, in, in great detail but there's a photo in the book that I wanted to ask you about as well um, my grand my granda Huey wiping the blood from my face as I sit with my new European belt it's my favourite image from my entire career yeah tell me about that yeah well that, that image just to go into the image a little bit there was uh, so my dad's got that framed um, in yeah. his house so that's his dad Um uh, I've got it framed in a little gym I have out in the garage as well. But we, we, <laughs> Shane McGuigan and Barry McGuigan are also in the picture. But we've had to have yeah, that's cut them out. Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I, I love the photograph of my granda doing that, but I didn't want to be looking at it all the time <laughs> yeah. of, of these guys on the wall. So, um, we've had them edit it out. But I mean, my granda was my biggest supporter, and yeah. he he died a few weeks before I beat Kiko for my first world title. Um. And that was yeah, it was that was a shame. I kind of dedicated that that fight to him. But he was, yeah, he was he was very very proud of me, my grand. And it was just it was nice, you know what I mean? You know what it's like. Yeah. The photo. It's just a a poignant moment to think. It's and, it's a little moment of like it's a moment of tenderness, is what yeah. it is. Uh, in in a in an arena that's not kind of renowned for being tender. Yeah. Put it that no, way. you're right. It was just it was nice. I, I genuinely love that that photograph. Yeah, it's a lovely photo. Um, uh, the. Uh, 
profession of boxing in the South certainly kind of has been in turmoil for a few years. We uh, The Katie Taylor fight was yeah. the first professional fight we've had in a long time after uh, the Regency. Uh, how did that affect you, that period? It di- I don't know if it, it didn't really affect me, that period, because I was boxing in, in Belfast. Uh, obviously, it was it was terrible what went, what went on, but um, I was mainly boxing in Belfast, sometimes international fights, but it didn't really have didn't really have an effect on, on me at, at that stage when it was happening. The company you were signed up to, MTK, though, they, I mean, they were implicated in an awful lot of kind yeah. of uh, uh, shady dealings, um, is how some might describe them. I mean, others would say they were founded as a front to launder money for the Kinnahans. Mm-hmm. I mean, through it all, what were your views on all of that when you well, were Well, you know, I, I contact, I mean, you hear you hear and you see these things in, in, in the press and, and, and what have you, but I, I'd signed up to a company who were, we had other fighters like Tyson Fury, Billy Joe Saunders, some of the Smith brothers, a, a good roster of fighters. I was coming out of a period where, um, and we'll, obviously if you read the book, you'll understand that I was financially not being rewarded as I should have. Um, and MTK says he could get me a deal with uh, probably Frank Warren at the start. Um, and then it moved on to a, a co-promotion with Frank Warren and Top Rank. Um, but one, one of the, one of the things I must say is like MTK advised me and they got me the deals with the promoters. They they never they never paid my wages. Mm. So they, they put me into a position with the promoters to for me to fight. Um and, and that's what happened. But I mean you, there must have been times during all that period where you would have had qualms, would you, about the you'd relationship? Have seen, you'd, have, you'd have seen people talking about it and asking about it. But to be honest, um being you know, over the border up there, um, it, without say, sounding horrible or anything, it wasn't as much as a big deal up there and, and around Belfast as it, as it was down here. So, I mean, it's you know, I, I never never had too many too many qualms. You had a few people, you know, firing things at you on Twitter or whatever, yeah. but you know, I tend to don't listen too much but to people on Twitter. When say when last year when the U.S. Treasury and Interpol and the Guardian and all these people kind of had this huge crackdown on the mm. the Kinahans and and it would have seen. Companies associated with them going to the wall, including MTK. Yeah, I mean, when that all happened, was there a moment where you thought, "Oh, listen, I, I kind of regret maybe sticking well, around it was, with these it, ads for as long as I did." It was a shock. It was a shock, but there was no regret for me, and, and I can say that honestly. I, you know, boxing, boxing is a business, right? So first and foremost, it's professional boxing anyway. You go into it to win titles and to win fights, but. As you get a bit older and you've won the titles and you've won the fights, you want to have a bit of security for your family. So MTK were able to secure deals for me from t- Frank Warren and, and Bob Arm, which kind of, I can now live comfortably the rest of my life. So um, I was looked after by MTK and, um, you know, I, that's that's all I can say really. I, I don't regret it. I don't regret it. All right. Um Listen, just uh, before I let you go then, uh, and we won't give away any more of the book, but um, one of the things that boxers often struggle with is what do they do afterwards? Yeah. You know, and not just boxers, professional sports people. It's just the, the nature of focusing yeah. so much on one thing to be successful. And Any of those struggles no, yourself? No, not at all. Because, like, as I said, I was kind of looking out anyway. Um, so It didn't catch I, you by surprise. No, it didn't. And I, and I, I mean, I know boxers who do struggle with it. And maybe, maybe because I... In a sense, I overachieved in my career. Like I, I just wanted to be a world champion, so to win it in two divisions yeah. and Ring Magazine and, and try to win it in the third, 
I've done a bit more than I imagined I could have. So maybe that makes it a bit easier. You know what I mean? Um, I just know that I'm not the fighter that I once was. And it would be a, a kind of... It, it would hurt your kind of legacy a wee bit if you, if you stay in and get beat by guys who, who wouldn't have been beating you mm-hmm. a few years previous. Um, so I was okay with that. Um, doing Working for TNT Sports um, as a pundit, which is a developing role. I'm, I'm commentating sometimes. I'm also interviewing fighters. Um, the, the, the fighters you describe as uh, the uh, thinnest people with oh, the thinnest uh, skin imaginable yeah. in the bitchiest sport on yeah, the planet uh, genuinely it's mad <laughs> you know it's, it's you know you have to be a tough guy to, yeah. to fight really um, that's the top and bottom of it but you know don't dare hurt their feelings or <laughs> yeah, get really yeah. annoyed it's, it's like the opposite <laughs> of the sticks and stones yeah, will break my yeah. bones that they won't but words will really hurt me yeah but I'm doing that I've, I've launched a whiskey as well so you know I know I'm getting a few Poundland Conor McGregor things throughout me, like. But um, I've launched a whiskey with with a friend of mine, business partner Paul Lawther, um, and it's it's a good product as well. Stable mate, stable mate whiskey, um, and it's I've had the Cernan whiskey drinkers drink it. And they all they all like it as well. So I'm 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 a busy boy at the minute. Busy. Well, listen, I like the book, Carl, and congratulations again with it, Carl Frampton. My autobiography, Paul Gibson. I wrote it with them, and the forward by none other than the man at the moment as well, Patrick Kilty. Uh, Carl, thank you. Thank you very much. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk.